friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Here we are yet again, and thank you for joining us yet again. Assuming that this is not the first time that you're listening. If it is, either way, <laughs> I am your host, and my name is Jeff, and my other host is that guy laughing named Greg. Hi, Greg. Hey, that's me. Yes. So we How were are talking- you doing, Jeff? Good. We were talking about your catchphrase, oh, yeah. and I thought you were going to go with a hi-oh, oh, yes. or what's your... Uh... Hey-yo! No, that's not how you've ever done it. Did I do no. that? No, no, that's no. a fail. Hey-yo! Yeah, that does feel very greg <laughs> It's one of those things. What's a Greg catchphrase? Hey-yo, that sounds... It's it's you, hey you've, got a, you've got a little bit of the Ned Flanders going uh, for you, with yeah. a little bit less of the... Um, uh, I guess uh, Ned's a little a little judgy, I guess, uh, for for uh, for you, but uh, you're th- that neighborly sort of, you know. And I think that's what works so well about Ned Flanders on The Simpsons is that he's kind of like sick- sickeningly sweet. Which uh, I guess you're not sickeningly sweet, but you're one of those guys where I I feel like people, you know, I feel like people take advantage of you, Greg. Is that true? Your kindness and hospitality. You know. <sighs> Or maybe, do you even see it that way? I, 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 I try to live my life in a way that I can give of myself. Okay. And I so when you say, like, do people take advantage of you? Is it still taking advantage of me if I let them? Yes. Yes, it is. The, the okay, challenge then is yes. you don't <laughs> view it that way or have a problem with it, which is, is taking right. advantage of you. Well, and that's, I guess... Implicit in the phrase taking advantage of would be beyond the bounds of good taste seems to be uh, mm. the assumption, which I think that, you know, obviously that bear the, the entire thing bears examination because, you know, just we have kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, there's an American mindset against the, the handout or against the pull your own, you know, yourself up by your own bootstraps and that sort of a thing like that. And so the people that are out there willing to help and the people are like, oh, you can help me. And then, ah, how dare you, like, accept help from anyone or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my, my feeling about there it. Go. There you go. Have, uh, ha- has that yeah, been mean, a challenge for you ever? Have you ever had to, like, cut someone off from your own support? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I That's have. Tough. I have unfriended people in real life. Okay, and and it's it's really been times when I I could not help them anymore. Right. If I'm not in a position myself to help them. Mm, okay. So. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, we all have our times when we need a hand. Right. And it's hard to give somebody else a hand if you need a hand if as you well. Need a hand as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I always think about uh, when I was uh, one of my apartments that I was living in with uh, a a ridiculous amount of other people for a two bedroom apartment. And they there was one guy. uh, It was the guy, the uh, owner, the the, uh, land uh, or the what do you call him? Property owner. Landlord. Landlord. There you go. Got it set up as a halfway house. So he could get more clients, mm. basically. And uh, so he would right. have people coming Probably out. Probably a tax break. Yes, all that sort of stuff like that. Yeah, he was yeah. definitely, uh, uh, yeah, looking for looking for any little any little avenue. And uh, so right. we ended up having this church that had sponsored this homeless guy to come and live with us. And he they paid his rent and everything like that. And the challenge was, is that he was, you know, like a drug addict and, and all of that, but he had to go through, I think he had to go through AA. I don't know, but there were many times and I was with, you know, a bunch of recovering alcoholics, uh, outside of myself and one other student in the, um, house, but, um, yeah, he would still come in like high sometimes. Uh, I know he would go during the day and go out and like panhandle on the streets and, and stuff like that. And so for us, and but the, the church kind of kept paying his bills for him to live there. And finally, like the other roommates had to get together and say like, hey, we've got to kick this guy out. Like he's he is threatening the rest of your sobriety and and by just, you know, kind of taking advantage of this 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 church. And which, again, I, I really appreciate the church's heart to be like, hey, let's this there's someone who's down on their luck. Let's help him out. But then, you know, yeah, he just um, 
or or maybe couldn't you know that's the other challenge is you know addiction is a tough thing so if you couldn't uh escape that uh despite you know having a, a nice warm dry place to live and all of that so mm-hmm. yeah it's such a tough um i know yeah we're gonna be voting on um i think it's uh proposition one or something like that coming up which attempts to deal with homelessness and mental health and stuff like that in you know one form or fashion and on one side you know i'm always for like trying but you know politics obviously gets in the way and uh the motivation for doing it in an election year is uh, a little bit different than uh just yeah we we love homeless people or you know so switching our gears to star trek on that happy note (laughs) which ironically or maybe not ironically i mean that's kind of roddenberry's vision is there are no more homeless people uh as we've talked about uh last season or two seasons ago now i'm not exactly sure how that would happen going from here to there outside of a nuclear war which it seems like is how star trek did it um any any uh star trek uh thoughts or feelings outside of the episode we're going to talk about today so a while ago, I got my son the um, the little golden book of Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, yeah. So it tells like a simplified story of that, that episode, mm-hmm. um, you know, more for kids. And it's, I mean, it's a silly episode anyway. <laughs> right. It had school somewhere. He got these little fluffy little balls that about the uh, diameter of a quarter. And he got like three or four of them in various different colors, and instantly he brought he brought them home that that day, and he said, "Look, look, tribbles." <laughs> so he's been having fun playing with his tribbles around. So we went on vacation uh, last last weekend, and we watched the the actual episode of Trouble with Tribbles, mm-hmm. and he loved it. Hmm. So. I'm just happy to gain them young, you know. Right? I'm glad that he he's enjoying Star Trek. He enjoys the animated series. Uh, he's enjoying uh, the original series. Th- those are the only two he's seen so far. Okay, but uh, yeah, it's it's been really good. I am enjoying introducing my son to Star Trek. Yeah, and I think the more I think of it, TOS is the right place to start. Interesting. It's got that level of silliness or or fun. Yeah. Yeah. Something fantastic. Yes. You know. Without being too heady or, or you know, yeah. It, 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 it tends to be rather simplistic and easy to follow along with the conflicts and the plot and stuff like that. Right. So, because, I mean, right. that's... That guy's obviously the bad guy. Exactly. There's no moral right. ambiguity about it. That guy's the bad guy because right. he's a monster. Yep. He's a literal monster. Character motivations or, you know, like we're talking about with this, this episode today where it's, you know, just how the you know character development and stuff like that that's not something that you know uh six and seven year olds can really wrap their minds around all that much so yeah uh, but the other one that i will mention which is kind of more star trek trivia that i was exposed to this week thanks to the google algorithm uh that apparently the original idea for Lieutenant Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine was she was actually supposed to be confined to a wheelchair. She was supposed to be basically who they turned into Melora in season two, where she's from a low gravity environment, and so she can't exist outside of a wheelchair. That was supposed to be her character. But then ultimately, as they were playing around with it, they said like, oh, that's just too limiting to the stories that we want to tell. So instead, they switched gears to make her a, a trill and then brought Melora back in or brought that, you know, turned that into a, a side character that they brought in for one episode. But I thought that was interesting. I mean, again, you know, the the Star Trek challenge to like, what can we do that's different? What can we introduce? How can we introduce a different dynamic into this situation? And, uh, and I appreciated that, you know, that, that would have been an interesting, again, that would have been a very interesting challenge. It was a great episode. I thought when they actually brought her in, Yeah. not so much dealing with handicap per se, but sort of like, what would it look like, you know, having a wheelchair in the future and, uh, yeah. And all of that. Yeah. Sometimes I think that we think of disabilities as something that just disappear in the future. Yes. And and I think part of that is by just using the word disability. Right. I mean, there, there are things that limit a person's ability to move throughout the world, but is that their issue or is it ours? You know? Right. It's, right. it's interesting. Like, yep. my, 
I was visiting my my uncle and aunt this past weekend with my family. You know, we were talking about the future of of medical science and stuff. My my uh, my uncle um, works for a uh, he he's the president of a seed company, so they do a lot of genetic stuff. Oh, okay. And we we're talking about gene editing and things like that. And um, my daughter has uh, Down syndrome, and I said something like, you know, the it's possible that my daughter might be in like the very last generation of people who have down syndrome, Hmm. you know, with, with gene editing and being able to take out that extra uh, chromosome or at least uh, downplay the, the, the effects of it. Right. Both my wife and my aunt, you know, express like that, that may be a loss to the future. Hmm. I'm not sure how I how I think of this, but just like food for thought, yeah, you know, yeah, the things that we think of as disabilities, right? Maybe, maybe are not. It's possible, at least. Right, right. It's and 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 not only that, but also, I mean, you know, the movie Gattaca, where they're talking about full on gene editing and just like you can literally sculpt the baby that you're going to have. Uh, in that future and and what things are actually you know disabilities is being short a disability is the preference for humans to be all you know six feet tall or whatever is you know certain colors of hair or certain colors of skin or certain you know like whatever uh you know what what uh the, the definition of an abnormality is something that is not normal well that requires you to define normal first and that's um again and i think we've mentioned this before i don't know if it's brilliant or stupid but there's that line in star trek generations where soren says uh normal is what everyone else is and you are not which i'm like uh i've <laughs> thought about that a lot and i don't again i don't know if that's brilliant or stupid but uh either way if we go too far into making everyone quote unquote normal then um yeah i think you're right there there could definitely be a danger in that however yeah i mean like people again being able to have their faculties i suppose and i mean you know even talking about like the 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 challenges of old age when we talk about things like dementia and alzheimer's and and all of that like i'm assuming that there aren't people out there that are like you know what i love my dementia like i'm so glad that i have dementia well i mean how could they say that because they don't you know have their full mental capacities um about that and if we were able to um According to Deep Blue Sea, if we just make sharks smarter, then we can figure that out until the sharks all eat us. So right. that possibility is always out there. <laughs> and there you go. There you go. Let us dive in then to this episode because this episode, my friends, we are talking about lieutenant or cadet, depending on the series that you're choosing. Uhura. We have chosen to dive in eventually into the episode from uh, Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet. So now we've obviously, when like uh, last year when Nichelle Nichols passed away, we got some chances to talk about Uhura. Uhura, obviously, in the original series, is an integral part. She's in virtually every episode. Um, what, I don't know, what are some initial thoughts? Like, what, why, why did you pick Uhura to be one of the characters we talk about, Greg? In the original series, we see Uhura, and she usually she's a very like put together. She knows what she's doing, very uh, capable and and uh, competent and confident uh, officer mm-hmm. on the Enterprise. I thought it was so cool seeing her on Strange New Worlds, not yet at that level. Mm. I really enjoyed seeing that that character. I think she's the most visible character that you get a real like pre-story to. Interesting. I think her Strange New Worlds character is very compelling. Yeah. Just seeing her come in young and like we saw in this episode, not quite sure if she wants to do this whole Starfleet thing. Right, right. Yep. And seeing her turn into the the woman that we know she becomes later on right super super cool yeah it kind of i I, I found that very interesting how about you i mean i'd agree especially uh, taking strange new worlds into account of the because there's what four characters i mean i guess we've gotten a taste of captain kirk or lieutenant i don't remember what his end title ended up being second lieutenant maybe 
Uh, and then we just met Scotty at the end of the season. But the, all of the characters, Spock, Lieutenant Chapel, or uh, Nurse Chapel, even uh, Dr. Mbenga, who appears in the original series, none of them really have the, in the like, yeah, that long arc that it seems like the person that we meet in the original series is so different than the person that we're meeting here today. Uh, Spock obviously has, <laughs> which I, I've been thinking about, like, I don't know, and we can talk about this when we get to Spock, obviously. I don't know if this is all intentional because they did say that in the cage, that version of Spock was much more like maybe not emotional, but he was much more reactionary than the Spock that we saw in the original series. They even said that that was kind of number one's character in the cage was number one was the unemotional, logical, like whatever one. And Spock was much more of the like, brash young reactionary so it does kind of feel like there's a little bit of that with spock is that they're kind of played with his like emotional vulnerability or whatever in the show but again uhura though is the biggest change going from a wide-eyed ancient ensign to uh such a pro and for me like that's all i've always talked about like my favorite uhura it's the one that i was the most familiar with uh is in the movies i was always way the movies i watched a lot earlier than the original series i think i had watched pretty much all of next generation and deep space nine before i had even seen the original series Mm -hmm. so i grew up with the movies and uhura in the movies especially in star trek uh four five and six is much more like she's the veteran she's the one that's like kind of like schooling the young kids and stuff like that and i love the what is it in star trek 3 where she's working with this young hotshot who's like i want to be out there man and i want to do all of this and then uh you know and then she pulls a phaser on him and this isn't this isn't uh, uh this isn't reality this is fantasy now get into the closet and like that's yeah that's she 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 really (laughs) has a lot of uh um command over her situation so i very much appreciate that yeah um and kind of like we talked about uh last episode or two episodes ago with hoshi uh languages do fascinate me i don't feel like they really emphasized especially because that was not really what the original series was about i don't think they really emphasized uhura's like genius with language but strange new worlds definitely does mm-hmm. i mean this episode we're going to talk about she specifically says she speaks 37 languages and that blows my mind like i i can barely attempt to do two languages and she speaks 37 like that's crazy and i think by the time they get to hoshi didn't they blow it up and she speaks like 700 i don't know she speaks a crazy amount um (laughs) and that that's like that's that's like a superpower if you ask me yes Um, apparently from from what i've heard once you learn is it either two or three it's something it becomes progressively easier because then you actually understand like the the roots of language as opposed to you know i only know my entire reality is shaped by this one language and then introducing a second one is the hardest part mm. so that maybe makes it a little bit more reasonable and i know there are humans that speak a crazy amount of languages but i'm you know incredibly impressed by by that skill yes yes i am too our, our kids are learning spanish in school right and it is it, i mean I, I try as much as I can to speak <laughs> Spanish with them, but it is tough, right. you know, just being able, just translating in, in my head. Exactly. But, you know, I, we, we know somebody who speaks, um, I think she speaks six languages. Wow. She said she grew up, she grew up in the Moldova. And uh, so she speaks like uh, Russian and Romani and English and Spanish and French and all these different languages. And she says that she there, there's a big difference between languages that she well knows well enough that she can think in hmm. and languages that she that she um, just knows through like translation. Right. But she she knows like three or four that she can think in too. Yeah. And, and that's I always the big just, key, I think. That, that just amazes me. Yep. That just amazes me, that yep. ability. Yep, and I, and I think, like, yeah, again, going back to Uhura's confidence, like uh, we mentioned before when we watched the episode Space Seed, that was always one of my favorite episodes is that Uhura 
uh, you know, she gets like slapped by this bad guy, and then she like turns back and looks at them defiantly, defiantly. Like, and Uhura yeah. has always had that uh, somewhat. And I think, like we've mentioned early on in this show, uh, or at least when we were doing the Captain's March Madness a couple years ago, that all of the characters, especially on the original series, were all experts in what they did. There was never a question of. Uh, is Uhura competent enough to learn this language? Like that was never a question. It was always if there was a problem, right. it was a it was like a a fundamental problem that had nothing to do with the expertise of the individual. Uh, and and right. you know, Strange New Worlds isn't built that way. Enterprise wasn't really well. Enterprise was kind of built that way, but for the most part, you know, the the earlier iterations um, have been different. And so to see again to see Uhura go from somebody who has maybe the raw talent but not the expertise into who we know she's going to grow into um yeah again is is pretty is a pretty exciting part i think of uh of the strange new worlds arc definitely definitely so speaking of which we are tackling this episode uh the episode children of the comet which is the second episode of strange new world uh because that is uhura's like it's pretty much her episode she's the central character which is pretty crazy that she's the central character in the second episode even though she's not she's basically the wesley crusher at this point she's a she's a cadet she's not even (laughs) part of the bridge crew but they're like let's do a whole episode around her and then i think at the end of the episode she is part of the bridge crew so certainly by the end of the season she is Mm mm-hmm what uh had it been a while did you only see this episode one time before this recent rewatch you know i think i've seen it twice before this okay but uh yeah i mean it's a it's a good episode if it's a very star trek episode it is and i know watching it like there there was uh other than there was a couple of like uh like head smacking like what is it uh when kirk is like i'm gonna go touch this giant egg thing it was like and we were literally yelling at the tv like Uh. what are you doing even spock is saying like how are you doing this like bringing a cadet on this space mission that is like oh the civilization might die hey cadet you want to go down and try it out like that's crazy uh the one what is it the one where uh i don't remember what's going or, or are they being attacked or whatever and then uhura says uh like uh uh, Mr. Spock, you do tend to always point out the like obvi- or obvious or something like that. And then Pike is like, you know, she's got you there, Spock. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're under attack right now. Is this the time for wisecracks? <laughs> so there's a couple of that, which they're maybe still trying to figure out. Or maybe that's just the vibe that they're like, you know, Captain Pike. And that's, that's been my dig on Captain Pike is that he's always like, he's like cracking jokes when we're all going to die. And it's like that. Uh, which again is so different than the Captain Pike that we see in the cage, but right. I don't know uh, the the things for me and and again I was pr- still pretty I definitely remembered watching this episode the last time and so uh, getting to rewatch it the one that I definitely had missed is oh Hammer Hammer has two lines but he is the best he is such a great character he and really is he just nails like. Yeah. Uh, just the and, and, and like talking about the confidence like i would say more than more than any other character that i think we got to see in this episode at the very least he is the most confident in who he is and that just like radiates like it's just yeah it's just so much yeah he, he's just such a welcome addition um I don't think they ever mentioned it. Again, you said that they had talked about his because uh, he's like a subspecies of Andorians. Yeah, they're the ones that live uh, in the subterranean caverns. Okay, um, and that came and we out see them in Enterprise. Enterprise, but not in Discovery. I don't think so. Oh, okay. So, because I don't know um, quite how, because I know in you know certainly in Enterprise and beyond is that the Andorians and the Vulcans are like ancient enemies. But at least here in the opening scene, Spock and Hemmer are like cutting it up and they're you know like they're buddies and you know or whatever i don't know if they're buddies per se but they're definitely uh not rivals uh which i thought that was an interesting uh kind of creating that dynamic which i think works well like why would you have you know that's i mean i guess that's late star trek where everybody seems to hate each other but at the very least classic star <laughs> trek everyone's on the same page and they're all teammates and they're all working together 
I guess the other one that stood out to me, I feel like this episode didn't really wrestle with the, like the prime directive per se, where it's like, this seems like it should have been a prime directive conflict where on one hand, you've got this planet that you're basically deciding to interfere with the natural evolution. This comet for centuries was destined to crash into this planet. You've decided that's no good, so you're going to interfere. Classic, like, Captain Kirk but was strategy. It? Well, but that's my point, is that then another culture comes in and said, this is our sacred comet. Do not touch it. And then they're like, no, we're not going to honor your culture. We're only going to honor... Um, you know, what we think we should do, which again, that's maybe a Captain Kirk era decision, but you know, Picard, Oh, Picard would have spent like three episodes wrestling with this about like, Oh, how do we honor your sacred traditions while we also save as many people as we can. And um, as opposed to just saying like, <laughs> well, well, what's his line? Like shepherds more like zealots. And it's like, well, I guess you just don't respect them at all. Do you there cap? Mm-hmm. Oh, the one other one that I will bring up that kind of that it didn't irk me because it's a it's just a trope is the defibrillator. Sam goes up, touches the thing, gets shocked, and then Spock has to turn the tricorder into a defibrillator, which that was pretty cool that it can do that. Uh, and then just goes, dzz, dzz. oh, he's okay. And it's just like <laughs> he literally died, and you bring him back, and that happens so often in movies and tvs where people will either do a defibrillator clear or they'll because everyone loves that that's so much exciting or they'll do you know uh, cpr and stuff like that they bring them back and they're just like okay are you good enough can you get up can you walk like okay let's go let's let's walk it off and i'm like <laughs> that's so i mean again this person's literally dead for you know 40 seconds or whatever this is a pretty traumatic medical situation yes Yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah, in TV, I mean, all it takes is a defibrillator, right. which is pretty great. It's true. It's very dramatic. And I love, I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in all of movies is that scene from The Abyss where uh, they have to bring the uh, defibrillator out. It doesn't work. And so Ed Harris just has to scream and slap her in the face. And that works better than the defibrillator. <laughs> uh, so good, though. So good. All right, so what I wanted us to talk about uh, today was the interesting thing about Uhura's um, life choice, I guess, that they kind of, it's like a subplot throughout this uh, episode, is the fact that she's not quite sure that she wants to be in Starfleet, which they even said, like, this has not been a situation that we have seen outside of Hoshi, which Hoshi obviously would have taken place, you know, I don't know. 200 100 years before so they probably didn't know that uh hoshi saito actually didn't want to be on the legendary enterprise Mm -hmm. but we haven't seen this terribly often in characters that you know everybody would love to be part of starfleet starfleet is the dream right which was interesting so she tells her story right and her story is that she um was going to go to this college that both of her parents were... Did, were they teachers? Is that what the story was? They were not only... I think they said they were teachers. They yeah. were. They were teachers, but then they all die in like a, in an accident. And so then she just can't do it. So she does the exact opposite, and she goes and she joins Starfleet. Which, to me, it actually it reminded me... And, I, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that join the military in sim, similar situations, uh, fleeing from... Um, you know, family situations, family trauma, something like that. It made me think, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rudy, but there's in Rudy, uh, you know, he, he is actually fleeing a family trauma. His best friend is killed in an accident and he decides it's now or never. I need to go to college. Uh, but he starts off at a, at a, uh, a church and the priest assumes that he's there to become a priest and he even says, we have an expression for this. It's called the escape into the cloth, where they're they're escaping a family situation or family trauma and becoming a priest. Uh, is that something, I don't mm. know, you know, as, as, as someone who's Catholic, Greg, I don't know, is that a thing that you're familiar with? I mean, you're not a priest, but. No, but I think that I think that's something that people have to be careful for. When they're uh, there, there's a long period of discernment before you join the religious life. I mean, yeah. years, years of discernment. 
And it's something that you, you have to be aware of. And I, I actually know several people who looked to become priests or to become religious, uh, you know, brothers or sisters, and they have, they went and did it for years. They went through the discernment process. Yeah. And, um, and they, they heard from God that that's not their path in life. Hmm. So it's not really like you, you go and you sign up like the army, you know? Well, I mean, it, it is similar. Yeah. I would say the similarities to me are like, it's a life, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a job. Yes, it is. I mean, that's the interesting thing that seems like uh, my observation about priests, as opposed to like pastors in Protestant churches, is that pastor is more of a job. And it does feel like, especially to um, Protestants, pastor is actually like a job, like a high honor position, even one. And sadly today, even a high power position, you are the, you run this organization, you are the figurehead, you are the decision maker, you are, et cetera, et cetera. So it is actually like, if you are a, you know, you're a associate director at a church, it would be considered a promotion. It would be considered a better job to be the pastor. Like that's the actual boss. That's the one that's in charge. Um, and it doesn't feel like from your descriptions, at least it doesn't feel like it, that uh, Catholic priests have that same idea. I'm sure it's still an honored position, but it's not, like you said, it's much more of a lifestyle than it is. Yeah. Like a, like a career, like this is a, this is a, um, uh, a position of great power at the very least. Right. I mean, that's ideally that's, that's what it is. Uh, it, it right. should be a servant position right. where you are, you are truly giving up your life to serve the people in the church. Right. That's, I think that is what, what we want, what we, sh and what we right. should want from our, from our priests. Yeah. And I think and I think the challenge is is that even priests it is a position of spiritual power is that the word of a priest if the priest says something to someone that's going to carry some weight. And that's hopefully why, you mm -hmm. know, that's something that is taken very seriously and something that, you know. But I wonder, yeah, again, like you said, that's generally not the same process people go through in joining the military. I don't know I mean, I, right. and again, I'm not, I've never served in the military. I've never volunteered or like gone into a recruitment office. <laughs> I don't, at least from the movies, the joke is like, I don't know how picky they are. If they're like, oh yeah, I just had a family trauma. Would they be like, mm, well, you know what? Maybe the military is not the best thing for you. Like, I, I feel like <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, yep. The military can handle that. Oh, yep. The military can handle that. And the interesting thing is like the military has built such an aura in themselves of pride and honor and the, the just like, I mean, you know, you talk to a Marine and a Marine is fully convinced that Marines are the greatest military force on earth. And, and even compared to America, uh, other American uh, uh, armed services, like the Marines feel that they are better than the army and that they are better than the air force and they are better than the Navy. And like that, that's, and that's intentional. That's been uh, developed into that sense of, um, pride and camaraderie and, and stuff like that and and I, I don't know it's funny i don't know that we see that per se or we don't see that implicit or um explicitly in star trek but there is that certain like who wouldn't want to be in starfleet like of course you would want to like everyone would want to be part of starfleet i feel like that's even the thing in next mm -hmm. generation that wesley wrestles with where Wesley, it's kind of like, well, of course you're going to go into Starfleet. Like, that's what your mom did. That's what your dad did. Like, everyone wants to go into Starfleet. And yeah. it's just like, mm, maybe I want to go do something else. And they're like, what? Like, what else would you do? Wander around with the Traveler? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it is it is funny that here's Uhura wrestling with, do I want to do this? And then ultimately landing on, oh, yes, of course I do. And as opposed to someone it'd be interesting to see someone oh i guess that was wesley crusher someone who wrestled with it and said like no you know what this is not for me i'm not gonna do this i guess that was the same thing with jake too jake cisco uh on ds9 is mm -hmm. that um he never really expressed any interest in going into uh starfleet but cisco his dad always assumed that he would and then when he said like no i want to be a writer and like, really oh all right and you know eventually he was very supportive and stuff like that but 
yeah, that's an interesting uh, family dynamic, I guess, that can play in there as well. But one thing, actually, along those lines that I, I found even more interesting uh, uh, for us specifically, like you and I, um, with what Uhura is going through, I heard somebody talking about uh, in another podcast about the problem of choice, essentially. And they were talking about, like, if you go back, I mean, especially in biblical times, but even just, you know, 100 and 150 years ago, if you were born on a farm, you're going to be a farmer. Like, there's no option. If you right. grew up and your dad was a blacksmith, you're going to be a blacksmith. Like, there's no, like, well, maybe I want to go into business. It's like, no, this is your life path. There was no option out there mm -hmm. for you. Um, even, and that's kind of what they were talking about. Like, biblically, the people that Jesus was preaching to, it was never like, well, what's God's will for my, like, what, what, what career does God want me to go into? It's just like, no, you already know what you're going to go. You're a fisherman. You're going to be a fisherman. Like, that's not in question at this point. But now, you know, in our day and age, especially in, you know, the United States of America and, you know, the middle, upper middle class, I mean, you can do just about anything that you want to with your life and your career. You have almost unlimited options. And, I mean, that's, that's the American dream, right? That we would have unlimited options. And they were kind of talking about, like, is that actually a challenge? Is that you have so many options of what you could do as a career that is that, you know, does that stymie people? Does that, you know, I, uh, dealing with high schoolers that are looking at what college do I go to, they're feeling like they have to make this choice of what am I going to do with my whole life? And I've got the entire, you know, menu of life to choose from. Like, what do I do here? Yeah. You know, in, in the Star Trek universe, like we've talked about before on this show, is that you can do whatever makes you happy. And that that's like everything is right. at your fingertips there. You know, you could do, you could be an artist, but you can't always make a career out of it. You know, mm. you can't always live on that's it. That's a good point. But you in, could in, in Star, Star Trek, Trek world. you can. Yeah. Or you don't need to because you don't, there's no money. Right. Yeah. But it amounts to the same. Like you, you can, you could do anything and still live. You can't do that now although i would say it is getting surprisingly closer with i mean especially the generation coming up now with one the gig economy where literally like you if you want to have four different jobs where you want to deliver groceries and you want to walk dogs and you want to um i don't know like fix toilets like you could do those things and just like sign up with the different apps I've heard somewhere that like 60% of Gen Z believes that they could become a YouTube influencer. Because then a YouTube, you're literally opening up toys on camera and being paid for this. I'm buying toys and opening them. And that's my job. Like, yeah, the, the, the number of things you can uh, be paid to do in this day and age is, is, just, is growing exponentially. Do we want, really want to be slaves to the gig economy? I find the gig economy problematic. Yeah. Because it it relies on people trading their their use for something that is has run by people who are trying to squeeze the most amount of effort for the least amount of money, which is capitalism generally, but this right. is capitalism run rampant. Because you could do whatever you want to these to workers like that, you uh, know, and pay them so very little because right. they're not they're not class classified as real employees in most states. Right. And that's that's really troubling. And and that doesn't even begin to touch how we are how the people who are um, on the other side of the gig economy, the right. the, the, the consumers the of that are able to trade their privilege for somebody else to go like do their their bidding you know it's true like, i and to take on that uh, like during covid take on that that risk because we don't yeah. have to that's true know? that's true but isn't that i mean isn't that you know again that's capitalism altogether or, or maybe not even capitalism that's um 
oh what, what what's it called uh, uh organizational or whatever uh industrialization or whatever where you actually have like corporations that do etc cetera, etc cetera, so that like ray crock didn't have to make a single hamburger he could just own all of the or not and not he wouldn't even have to own a mcdonald's he could just own the franchising rights so that y'all can go and open a mcdonald's and then y'all can hire people that can etc 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 uh, and I and I think you're right. I mean, some of that is the dream of capitalism, right? Is that the, the the dream is that you're working to become the person that doesn't have to do this anymore, that can pay someone else to do this now. Um, I do think some of it is. I think some of those objections are our generation's objections. I don't know that Gen Z has the same kind of generation uh, objections. Mm-hmm. Like one thing for me, because I've I've uh, you know dabbled in the gig economy. The thing that I love about the gig economy is that you do make your own schedule. So it's not something that you have to report to your job at 9 a.m. and you show up and you do what the boss tells you for eight hours and et cetera, et cetera. But it's literally if you want to work for one hour and then you want to go to the beach, you go and do that. If you want to work at you know two in the morning, you can go do that. Like you, you literally, you know, depending on the 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 gig itself, because obviously if you're walking dogs at two in the morning, generally that's not going to go over terribly well. But you you have much more control, and you're right, you're releasing some of the stability that a boss gives you but i think that's also the appeal is that you know the the different generations don't want a boss they want to be their own boss and they can choose hey if i want to work 16 hours today and make you know four hundred dollars that's what i'm gonna do uh because if i have a job if i'm working at mcdonald's and i say i want to work 16 hours today they're gonna go nope we're not paying you overtime so you 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 call the shots i think is some of the appeal either way again i think it's the changing landscape that uh is it is a challenge again for us um you know even going back you know to our is it our parents or is it our grandparents i don't know the whole idea that you find a good company and you work it there for 40 years and then you retire with a pension and a gold watch and that those days are long gone Mm -hmm. but for some generations they still they still believe in that they still believe that no, no no you have to find a good company that will take care of you and like that's that's again that's not that's not today's uh, corporate environment anymore. Yeah. It still goes back to that problem of choice and is having, cause it does feel like this next generation, they want more choice and they want, they want to not even be, you know, uh, um, limited by only like they, they would love to have three or four jobs that they can only work part time at. Like that's their dream. Um, but does that, like, I don't know, again, how, how is that, not necessarily how is that worse than when we knew, but like, I guess, how do we wrestle with that problem of choice that, that, or is it a problem or is it the like, you know, cause I think, I think like you were saying earlier, this idea that the dream is you can do what you love. I don't know that that's most people's reality. I think some people it's, Either, well, now I have to figure out what it is that I love. Not just what I like or not just what I'm good at, but what I love. Or I have to choose what I'm going to make the most money at. Or I have to choose what I'm going to hate the least. Or I have to choose the the people that will actually hire me. You know, like choice, 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 choice. Are more choices always a good thing, I guess is my question. I like choice. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if this is just from being like a millennial and, you know. Loving the choice of what to do, <laughs> but it, it, I, I think choice is a good thing. I think reconfiguring society so that people can make choices about what they what makes them happy, mm-hmm. and being able to do that is a valuable goal. Yeah, and I and you know if you if you ask, is that really possible? And I hope so. Yeah, I don't know, but I think it's worth a shot. Yeah, you know, a lot of traditionalists. And, uh, you know, the reject modernity types, um, I think, want to go back to a place that doesn't have a lot of choice. And that's that I I get it. I get that that's um, that's something that people feel like has really adversely affected society, that we do have all this choice, all this freedom for things. And that that does make us unhappy, that there is a valuable point there. Hmm. But I think that people are better off having wide open 
vision to what's out there. Yeah. You know, wide open ability to 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 go out and to make their way in the world in the way that they that they think is best yeah. than trying to squeeze them into a box. Because I know that I've been unhappy being squeezed into a box. Mm. I think a lot of people have. It works. I think that the no choice paradigm or very little choice paradigm works well for a certain percentage of the society. Hmm. Hmm. And for people who naturally fit into those roles, but for there's another percentage and I'm not, I'm not even going to make a, a uh, <laughs> hypothesis about how big or small that percentage is. Yeah. It really harms, you know, those people are very, very unhappy. Yeah. Not everybody is safe in making decisions outside of what that was been prescribed for them. Right. The two challenges I see is that one, in our at least American society, it's not just a level playing field choice. Like there is a definitive choice that like there's there's repercussions. If you say what I love to do is to fry French fries, that's going to have more reper repercussions than if you say or different repercussions than if you say I love, you know, being a lawyer. I love being a CEO. I love being like whatever that there there's there's another part that goes it's not just about love. It's also about money and it's also about lifestyle and the fact that like if you love cooking french fries, great, you're going to be under the poverty line for the rest of your life. Like that's that's the reality of your desire. Uh, and, and so I think there's a lot of, like, I always wonder, are there a lot of people that would actually be wonderful at something? Uh, like, like that's the, the thing I always think about, like with teachers is that they, they, you know, they talk about, especially in certain districts, how little public school teachers are being paid. And are there people out there that would be spectacular cheap teachers that look at that job and say like, oh, but I can't afford to be a teacher. Like I'm going to go and be a stockbroker or something that provides for a better quality of life by our standards than being a teacher would be. And so then the teacher profession is less for all of that. Uh, and then I feel like the second one too is, and, and, and they kind of go hand in hand, I think, is – if you give people the freedom of choice, you have to be okay with the choice that they make. And I think that right. we, we, we are not, I mean, I mean, even like I was talking about, like with the no. guy that was living with us that, um, you know, the church was paying for his, uh, room and board and he chose to continue, you know, using drugs. He chose to continue to panhandle and stuff like that. And if you just give him a blank check and you say, here, I'm going to pay for your thing to go here, like you have to be okay with that choice, that decision that he made. Uh, and that's a tough part. That's mm -hmm. a tough one if, you know, if you have absolutely no stake in the game. If you're like, it really doesn't matter what you choose, that's one thing, but we do, you know? And I mean, not only from a, you know, a capitalistic, like, well, here is the best decision you should make for our economy or for your own financial well-being, but we also from a moral perspective where it's just like, if you're going to choose to, you know, become Bonnie and Clyde and go out and kill people for money, uh, well, kill people and take their money, um, that's not a great moral decision. And, you know, for those of us with more, uh, certain morals, we're going to say like, that's, uh, yeah, that doesn't work. Um, but yeah. So having some sort of limits around choice, I feel like does become important, but even more of a challenge. Yeah. The, the morality part of that can be tricky though, because, you know, you, you can also say that like homosexuality is immoral. Right. So therefore nobody is allowed to, to uh, express their same sex attraction. Right. And that, that's, that's a, that's a really tricky yep. position to go down. And so, and I'm not saying it's not complicated. What are we to do with our morality and how, how it, it relates to other people's freedom of choice? Right. You know, because things that I do may be immoral to others. Yeah. And things that other people do might be immoral to me. And, you know, I have a pretty good idea of why my morality is like, 
quote the right morality. Sure. But, you know, other people do too. And I'm a adult and I recognize that other people have yeah. different moral systems. I don't want anybody to oppress me, but I also don't think it's my position to oppress other people. Right. Unless they're hurting somebody else. And the only the only intolerance that I have is for intolerance. Right. And that's that's also a tricky but also gets tricky, right. Into. And even like harm. It like, does. That it was, absolutely does. Yeah. That was the thing I was thinking about the uh movie uh Thank You for Smoking. Uh I think really asked some <laughs> of these questions where it's talking about, you know, like so uh, we don't want people to smoke and we have been saying like, Hey, there are some serious health hazards, but it's just like, but at what point is it their choice? Like if they know, Hey, this is damaging to my body, but I want to do it anyway. Uh, same thing. I'm like, personally, like, like alcohol, I'm not a big fan of alcohol, but people really like alcohol. Alcohol has a lot of negative mm-hmm. impacts on, you know, your body and your life and all that sort of stuff like that. But do I have the right or do we to be able to say same thing like the choice if you choose hey I want to work for Anheuser-Busch I'm going to become you know that's going to be my job is it my job to say that is a damaging profession you are no longer able to do that again that that's a very uh, slippery slope I think I, I do think though uh, even as I mentioned slippery slope uh, I feel like this has come up before just because it's a slippery slope doesn't mean that we don't you know we avoid the slope altogether where it's like, I, I think there is still a way to have, just because it's tricky doesn't mean we avoid it altogether. And we say, therefore, there are no rules and there are no lines and there are no nothing. You know, I think we can still have that discussion and to kind of say, even if it's got to come to like a, you know, utilitarian, like what's going to benefit the most amount of people or something like that. I think we can still, we still need to have those kind of conversations so that it's not just, um, yeah, a free for all uh, anarchy chaos sort of a situation is that it's complicated yes right it, there's no simple solution here no. and and even if you are like myself you know someone of a social libertarian mindset yep you know that there are important things to think about it's it's hard to be absolutist about things and i think once you go into like an absolutist frame of mind that that's when you start going down the slippery slope. Yes. As being absolutist either way. Yep. 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 Life and that's is, problematic. Yep. So life is complicated and I think when we try and to simplify it into black and white. Um and I and I think that's the irony, like even wanting like the both Judeo Christian and non Judeo Christians fascination or whatever with the Ten Commandments. Where we're like, great, here are 10 things that everybody can agree upon. But it's just like, but there's still nuance there. Because I mean, like, you know, swearing false testimony against your neighbor. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And is there a situation, again, like we've used mm-hmm. the, you know, Nazi pounding on the door and saying, are there any Jews here? Like, that, that gets nuanced, too. You know, obviously murder, everyone you know knows that commandment. And, like, there's a lot of... Uh, no one seems to go big about the Sabbath day one, but that's a different, uh, that's a different podcast, but so one more, <laughs> we should have that podcast yes, someday too. Though. Yes. Uh, so one more before we go that I wanted to throw out is, uh, and I, and I kind of, uh, joked about this earlier is it, so this episode saw them send, uh, cadet Uhura on this, like pretty crazy away mission which i thought was ridiculous but at the same time i was also kind of reflecting on the like propensity of jobs to kind of just throw you into the fire and because uh, i've had i think you've been there recently i have actually and that was the, the funny thing is so like right now my my current job is to work in uh, uh an after school program and I had one day of like a like a lecture, like we sat in a classroom or something like that, and they kind of went through some of the rules. And then my first day where I was supposed to shadow, somebody was gone. So they're like, hey, I know this is your first day, but we really need you to leave this classroom. So I was kind of like, uh, okay. And so I did kind of get thrown into the fire. And I, I don't know, I was thinking about that concept because I, I, I guess I appreciated there was the one point where – was it Kirk? I think uh, Sam Kirk asked Uhura, like, so what do you think? Are these markings decorative or linguistic? And she's like, me? Like, 
well, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a cadet. He's like, yeah, but you're here and no one else is here. So you got to do it. And, and you're like, you're the linguistics per you're the expert right now. You know, more than the four, the rest of us do at this moment. And I think that is interesting that it's like there, there's some, I don't know if there's some value to the just kind of being chucked into the water, especially in this particular situation where if she screws up, then an entire planet dies. But some level of like, you have the expertise, you were hired for this position, at some point, you just got to do it. Right? Have you been in those situations before? I think everybody's been in those kinds of situations before where you're just like thrown in. And sure, the stakes aren't that high, right. but you know, you, it's a it's a sink or swim kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was working in a you know, research station for the first time, and I don't know how much you do this because you were one of the most honest people I've ever met. Wow! But you know, in, in your resume, maybe maybe things look a little bit, I'm not saying out and out lies, but things look a little <laughs> bit better than. Okay. Okay. Know. So, you know, there, there were a couple things that uh, I knew I would be able that maybe I don't have a practical hands-on experience, but I knew I could, I, I knew the, the theory behind. Okay. Okay. And, you know, being tossed into that situation, like, okay, go ahead. You, you you said that you know how to do this, so, right, so do it. Go ahead, and and it's kind of like, or her, you, you you go and you you figure it out, like faking it, where as opposed to like mm-hmm. no, like I would maybe switch that term to like improvisation, where it's like or learning, mm-hmm. like because then that's different. I'm that's good not, at thinking on my feet. Yeah, and that's different, I think, than making it up or pretending that you know something that you don't. Like that's that's mm-hmm. different, but confidence. Yeah, yeah. Because like like for me, I've noticed in every new job, and again, this last one was maybe the most felt like they knew they were throwing me into the fire. But right. every single job that I've had, the first day, the thought has always occurred: there is no way I'm going to be able to figure all this out. Like it's just too much. There's no way I'm going to be able to figure it out, and I always have. Like, there's not been a job that I have just, you know, had to quit on the second day because I just couldn't figure it out. Like, I remember when I was working for Disney is they go through the training. They're like, okay, so we've got this break room over here and this one over here and this one over here. If you're assigned to this one, then you have to go to this place to get your costume. If you get assigned here, then you have to go here and you have to go here. Then you have to go here and here's where your locker is. Uh, And then at the end of the day, you have to use this chemical and then this chemical. But don't use this chemical unless you have this. Then you can use this chemical. And I'm like, I'll never remember all of this. And a week later, (laughs) I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, it's all just like – you know, it just flowed and I'd watch other people and they just did it without even thinking because it's just, it's all so natural. But initially that much information always feels overwhelming to me. Which surprises me with you because I mean, you, you, you are a smart guy who seems like you figure out things quickly. Sure, and I and guess I this do. proves that you, you have, right? but, but I don't like, think you know, that I will. Why it's do you so feel much like that sometimes? And, and I think the other challenge is yeah. it's not just the amount of information. It's the fact that it is new information, especially like now there are some jobs. And I mean, again, using the after school program job, I have relevant experience. Like if I had never worked with students before and they would have thrown me into there, I'd be in trouble where I would just be like, you know, a student would come up and ask me to go to the bathroom. And I'd be like, uh, no, uh, no, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but to know just like, hey. It's a sixth grader going to the bathroom. I think it's going to be okay. Like, I know that. And so I, you know, I'm able to handle that. Or somebody, like, asks me a ridiculous question. And I can identify that, like, no, that's a ridiculous question. Like, I don't need to answer it. Like, I, maybe I don't need to answer it at all. Or maybe I don't need to be serious about it. Or, like, whatever. I can joke about it. And, like, et cetera, et cetera. Relevant experience comes into play. In some situations, I don't have relevant experience where, you know, like at Disney, I didn't have any costume cleaning experience to rely on. So costume cleaning was a Mm -hmm. brand new concept to me. And new things I think are always like this is a new skill set I'm needing to learn right now. And when you're telling me about it, you're using your words, it's going to take a little while for me to get from here to there. And I mean, maybe it's only a day or two of actually physically doing it. But, you know, learning a new skill, I think, is 
not always scary, but at the very least, it's it's new. You know, it's it's my body is doing something that it's never done before. My brain is thinking things that it's never thought before, and that's always a stretch, a grow a growth, right? Yes, yeah. and I think you know, bringing it back to Ahura. Yes, she goes through this process, and there is growth there. Well, and that, and that's why I'd say like her relevant experience comes into play, where she, you know, as she's looking at these markings, like could Spock have thought of that maybe but now granted she does kind of dumb into she just happens to be humming and then she's like oh oh well that worked out pretty well could anybody have done that maybe but the very least like hey i do actually know languages here's a language like i can start to use my skills and we again we saw the same thing with hoshi right she had the framework exactly i understand the concept of language i understand how the the trends and stuff like that now i would say alien languages could be something different although again you still have more relevant experience than anybody anybody else on that away team so you can start to figure out this that and the other like the crazy like again the thing with spock tells her basically exactly in in his in spock's uh pep talk his pep talk (laughs) yes 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 that especially later on in your career i think when you're you know, a high schooler, a college student getting your first job, that can be a little bit that way. Like you don't necessarily now. And that's granted the, the kind of jobs that you end up getting. So like I got, like I was an usher at a movie theater. Your job is literally to sweep the floor. Like you don't really need a whole lot of relevant experience to know how to move a broom back and forth. Like you, you'll figure that part out. That's okay. Uh, same thing with like, mm-hmm. what was my, uh, Oh, uh, I worked at a water park saying, cross your arms, lay down flat in your back, go like, I think you can figure that one out without a whole lot of relevance. Yeah. You know, water safety experience or something like that. They didn't, they didn't make me the lifeguard uh, right off the bat. So I always try and advise my uh, high schoolers that are getting jobs for the first time that like that. uh, Yeah. Again, this is, this is, this is, I think a common experience. The, the, the first day uh, butterflies or whatever about like, am I, am I really able to do this? And like, just, just, just hang on there, uh, tiger. Like uh, wait till the second and third day. Like it, it gets easier. Um, once your once your brain and your body kind of get used to new rhythms yes yes do get easier you know when you're on the job indeed they do and as we saw they did for uhura eventually becoming confident woman that we see uh which by the way i do want to point out like so she shows up at the beginning of the episode wearing her dress uniform i'm real i'm like really that's what the dress you like they, they barely, you know, the dress uniforms that we see in Next Generation where they're those long kind of like dressy looking, like dress looking things. Yep. Uh, but hers, it looked like a jumpsuit. It, I mean, it was a jumpsuit. It just looked like, you know. Yeah. You could go and fight somebody. I don't know why this is. I mean, I guess it's cleaner than your normal one. I don't know. But it was funny that, yeah. It's she, a she does, pretty cool dress uniform. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why everyone's teasing her about it. She looks better than the rest of y'all, especially these cargo pants that uh, really Ortega does. has on. Like, come on. Like, yeah. A halter top, too. It was like, you could at least dress up a little bit for the captain's. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's Ortega. She, she always looks good. It's, oh, I man. Yes, so. Uh, although I Ortega's do also, also wonder, like, why is the nurse here? Like, like I don't understand Nurse Chapel's. Like how she's just everywhere where she's, yeah, she's just, uh, do you think it's, do you think Pike invited her just because she like, just because Pike enjoys seeing her flirt with Spock? No, no. I don't think anyone else has noticed <laughs> it uh, at that point. Uh, no, I think, no, so I think, obvious. I think she's a buddy. I think that's what it is. She's everybody's buddy. And so yeah. that's why she's there. And not only that, she's one of the main cast members on the show. So we got to get her in here, whether it makes any sense or not. <laughs> so it'd be like, if it was, you know, if it was a uh, uh, lower decks, they'd have f- some reason that, Hey, we need Ensign Boimler to uh, wipe the table or something like that. We just need him on screen. Cause he's, you know, he's a main character. So. Right. But anyway, we're not talking about Ensign Boimler at this point. We were talking about Uhura and uh, we have come to the end of this conversation for this moment, I would say, my friends. Uh, I'm sure Uhura will come back up, especially as we talk about some um, Strange New Worlds characters, because she is uh, an integral part of that. Uh, An integral part of original series, I would say, but not as uh, present. No, that's the wrong word. Not as... uh, Featured. Let's go with featured. 
Um, but this next episode, we are going to get to my friends. We are going to deal with someone who is far more featured. We are going to talk about Michael Burnham from Discovery. So obviously a character that has a lot of development. One might say the entire show is about developing Michael's character. So I'll be interested to see, Greg, you'll have to be my expert to point us to the best episode that we can talk about, uh, which probably will make very little sense for me. Because I will have not seen the episodes that preceded it, but um, we will piece our ways through to figure out something to talk about. Michael Burnham, Spock's half sister, adopted sister, adopted sister. Yes, which makes total sense. Oh, it totally does. I mean, no, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. But you know, hey, however you, uh, yeah, however they do that. Uh, but we uh, will save all that for the next episode, my friends. So please come back and join us for that one so we can talk uh, a little bit more about Star Trek Discovery. But for this episode, my friends, we will end our conversation about Uhura and Strange New Worlds and Children of the Comet by saying... Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. <laughs>